It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down. Bring it all down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. And welcome into the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. A good Monday afternoon. Our phone number is 547-1610. It reaches via email, 610KONA.com, the bottom line page. Your name, where you're listening, what you would like to say. We're on Twitter at Bottom Line 610, Facebook at the Bottom Line 610, and the free mobile app is available through the Google Play and the Apple Stores. Rob Francis said Dawson with you. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. Um over the weekend, I saw a, a, a commercial that got me thinking. Oh. It was a Walmart commercial. Now, it didn't necessarily get me to think to go to Walmart. <laughs> but it was an interesting commercial because Walmart is a company that is based where, where the first store was in Bentonville, Arkansas. I don't know if the company is still based there or not. But they're a U.S. company. Started in the South. 60 years ago, 70 years ago. They ran a commercial over the weekend that that was basically an employee for a company, Milo's Tea, talking about how Walmart partnering with Milo's Tea is creating jobs and, you know, it's going to keep his job and, and investing in America and all this and so on and so forth. Hmm. All these decades after the founding of Walmart, and they're now in 2021 running commercials promoting partnerships with U.S. companies or deals with U.S. companies or buying U.S. products to keep U.S. jobs and and create U.S. jobs and so on and so forth. Walmart is one of the largest retailers, brick and mortar, in the country. And And they're just running commercials showing this now. Now, look, one of the reasons that large companies become large companies is because they find ways to buy cheap and sell for hire, make profit, big profit. And a lot of times we know where that merchandise comes from. Uh, We know Walmart had a big scandal in the 90s with uh, the Kathy Lee Gifford clothing line and where it was being made. I think it was Honduras and the single-digit age of the children that were sewing the clothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they're, they're no stranger to getting cheap goods from out of the country. But why in 2021 are you promoting the fact that you're buying American products like you should be patted on the back for it? You should have been using American products all along. You should have been investing in America for decades. You should have been investing in America all this time to help the country's economy and realizing that you can you can still have a large profit line and you can still be a significantly large retailer and still invest in American products and the American economy and keep American jobs instead of having a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old Honduran kid sewing a blouse. So my question is, are they just now because I agree I've not ever seen any kind of commercials from Walmart like that before now is it because they've always been doing it but they feel in today's cultural climate and business climate they need to point that out to people to make them look good 
Or is it what I think you were intimating? They're switching over <laughs> to more domestic products for... Uh, for possibly the same reasons. But, I mean, why now for a commercial about this? Really one of two things. They are starting this or they feel like it's important to get that message out, even though they've been doing it for a while because there's so much talk about China and, you know, Central America and just all that stuff. There's also a third possibility. And that third possibility is it could be subtly politically motivated who is trying to champion his buy back better program who is trying to encourage american businesses to buy american products if you have Walmart running commercials talking about the American products that they're now buying, does it not look like a boost to the president who is trying to say that he is working in that regard? And we know that Walmart is no longer a right-leaning company. That could be. There could be at least some influence there, if not, you know, the motivating factor. And, and you know, because when you think about it, why would you do it now? As you said, why now? Why in 2021? Do you think you're going to gain an advantage in the buying market? I don't know how much more of an advantage in the buying market Walmart is is open to get. I mean, we've got three of them in the Tri-Cities as it is. Yeah. We've got one in each city. Yeah. So how many, I mean, how much more does Walmart think they're going to get by putting out a commercial in that regard? It's not, you know, it's not one of those things to where you, you're seeking to grow by a couple of percentages in in your sales. Cause you have online, you have brick and mortar, you have all these other things. To me, it seems that it's, it's a, It's a feel-good commercial or an attempt to be a feel-good commercial, but for a company whose feel-good has always been about how much money they're saving you, it's definitely an interesting departure in a climate where you've got a lot of other issues concerning the American economy that talking about a partnership with a tea company. Yeah. You know, I I can't imagine that, you know, sales have plateaued and so they're looking for a jolt to get their next increase. But think about it for a moment, though. Not all, but a vast majority of the Walmarts around the country also sell food. What were some of the few places that were open at the height of the pandemic. Yeah, Walmarts. Walmarts were. Absolutely. Yeah, they were restricting people going inside, to, you know, the number, so they wouldn't get flooded. But I'm willing to bet they didn't lose too much money during the pandemic because they were able to be open, uh, you know, because they sell food. Just the thought. Oh, no, no. But I just, I, I again, it's, it's, you know, I just thought it very interesting seeing that commercial and all of a sudden touting that we're we're buying products from American companies to sell to Americans. It's like, shouldn't you have been doing that all along? And you also had, you had an immediate hankering for some tea. No. No. Oh, okay. And I didn't have a hankering at all to go to Walmart to buy tea. 
at all. I, I, well, I then, it, then the advertisement failed. It did. I, I mean, if I see, you know, if I go to Walmart and I need tea and it happens to be there, I might buy it, but it's not making me get in the car and drive to buy Milo's tea. And it's funny because you might go to Walmart to look for it. And it might not be there. They might not have it here. That's it true. It might only be in certain parts of the country. That's true. But that notwithstanding, just interesting. Yeah. Um, five four seven one six ten. If you would like to get involved, uh, lots of things actually striking and interesting. I will tell you this: there is a there is a dramatic difference. Uh, you 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 think where you are is kind of a norm uh, <laughs> in, in in some way. Yeah. Um, until, because it's normal to you, right? Until right. you go somewhere else, and and everything from from price to like, for example, okay, back east, buying dinner for three is the same, roughly the same price as dinner for two here. Wow, I mean, cost is just different, um, but taxes are different. Mm. They also have a new thing out there, and and and. I'm going to try to say this as low as I can so that nobody who is in an executive position in government can hear me. (laughs) I hit two places that have added surcharges now to – it's basically an additional tax. Yeah. And you're looking at it, and it's like, what is this? Is this like a – is this like a tip that's included? No, no, no. It's it's a surcharge that's been instituted. A surcharge for what? Surcharge for what? Me putting my butt in your seat? Is that what surcharge is for? I ran into that not only back there, but also at the airport in Minnesota. Oh, really? They had a 4% surcharge. Just what, for the privilege of coming through their airport? It's, it's, it's another tax. Yeah. It's just another tax, which is completely, totally odd. But even with that surcharge, it was cheaper to eat with three people than it is two here. That's 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 something else. It, it's it's just different. It's interesting in how some things some things are laid out. But I will say this: the sentiment about the current situation is very similar. Is it? Oh yeah. You don't have. Uh, it's not. You you you've got a lot of people that are just done. Mm. A lot of people are just done. Yeah, you you don't see a lot of places with signs. I mean, it's it's very similar to here where it's not. There's no, the mandates are pretty much done. It's up to local businesses. There's nobody pushing and pressing. No one's shaming anybody in public, whether they are or they aren't wearing a mask. Um, you mean kind of the way it should be life in general exactly people just going about their own business and and everything else um but it's very similar in just the just how people are now responding and are just kind of like yeah we're done we're just we're just we're just we're over it already let's just move on it's almost like news stories that are coming out trying to continue to keep this up yeah, people are just ignoring. They're just, they're just not paying attention. I mean, they're so ready to be done and move past, which which when we come back, we'll mention a little bit about because the state of Washington is at like 69.997% vaccinated. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to touch on that because... Uh, 
Guess who's coming to town? Oh, boy. Guess who's coming to town? Oh, boy. The day after tomorrow. You're going to love it. It's going to be like Christmas in June. Or something. Or something. Or tax day or something. Can't get in by phone? Give us your bottom line through email. Send your thoughts from the bottom lines page at 610kona.com. Back to the bottom line with Robin Ed, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. 547 is the number if you want to get involved. Perfection Tire with four locations here in the Tri Cities. You can visit their website at perfectiontire.com to get a look at all the makes and models of tires that they have for every vehicle on the road here in the Tri Cities and also vehicles on the farm as well. Not to mention, you can also see all the services that they provide at perfectiontire.com. Perfection Tire, four locations here in the Tri Cities, have been serving the community for almost 60 years. Locally owned and operated. 547-1610 to get involved in the program. So it's going to feel like Christmas in June for some people. It could feel like the the most, uh, well, it could feel like a new pandemic to other people. As uh, the day after tomorrow, Jay Inslee will be visiting the Tri-Cities. The Donkey of Shame Hall of Famer. That's right. The Donkey of Shame Hall of Famer. In fact, we did reach out to his people to see if he was open for a ceremony. Um, to to receive a certificate or a plaque mm-hmm. uh, to to celebrate, he can just add it to the long list of accomplishments and plaques and certificates that he has. Well, frankly, they haven't exactly said why he's going to be here. Maybe it's because other than it's Tri Cities Outreach Day. That's right, Tri Cities Outreach Day, and you know maybe it is to acknowledge his induction in the Donkey of Shame Hall of Fame. Maybe the outreach. Yes. is going to be reaching out to grab our necks. <laughs> I think I can move faster than him. Uh, you might. You're up in the bottom line, News Radio 610K. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Yeah, this is Dell from Goldendale. What's on your mind, Dell? Uh, I can't believe people are still calling this a vaccine. It's a gene therapy drug, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's still being tested. It's not even uh, foolproof. People have taken it are being guinea pigs for uh, big uh, for Pfizer and Moderma and all those. And a, a virus, a, a vaccine is made from a live virus or a dead virus. It's not made in a chemical virus or a chemical uh, vaccine. There is no such thing. But anyway, I just think people ought to really look at it before they decide they're going to do uh, put that in their body. So appreciate the call. Couldn't agree more. You should do as much research as possible uh, until you come to the conclusion that's right for you. Yep. Absolutely. One hundred percent. The conclusion that's right for you. Five, four, seven, one, six, ten. If you would like to get involved in the program. Uh, so the governor will be here. Yes. Uh, the governor will be here day after tomorrow. Um, there is speculation. There is speculation, yes, that he will be here because there is the possibility that the state could reopen earlier than June 30th. Uh, because we, by some, by many reports, and people are now all over DS, or they're all over the Department of Health, they're all over Inslee's office wanting percentages because it's like, as we said, 69.999997% of the state is populated 16 plus. Well, we talked about this last week that we know that there's a difference 
not only in lag time, but the metrics that are a part of the reporting between the state health department and the CDC, CDC has this over 70%, but they take into account, um, I, I believe it's 18 and above, and the state of Washington takes into account the 16, 17 and, you know, and above metric because uh, in the state of Washington, you can get the vaccine as young as 16. Uh, so there's some discrepancies in the in, in even the metrics of the reporting. But here's the thing. He also has a news conference scheduled, a media availability for Thursday morning, uh, in which I think then he will make his announcement um, about whether or not he is going to be opening the state or not, because he follows the science. Um, I don't, I really would be shocked if, quite frankly, he, he, did anything of note in the Tri-Cities. Um, he um, he hasn't had a good couple of trips to the Tri-Cities lately in the last uh, couple of times. Uh, he's been heckled and uh, he's been booed and uh, he has had uh, signs uh, put up uh, outside where he was speaking that were not all that complimentary of the work that he's done for the state of Washington since becoming governor. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Again, the details of his trip have not yet been announced. They've just kind of released his calendar uh, to show what where he's going to be this week. And... Tri-City, he is, he, right now, anyway, he's yep. scheduled for the Tri-Cities. Now, could he make a change and say, oh, there's a change in the schedule. Sorry, Tri-Cities. Uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the flip side because I'm going to okay. announce something big. But if he does that, is anybody going to be all that upset? I think they'll be crickets. Yeah, I think so, they won't be all that upset. Let's go to the phones quickly. We've got about a minute left until the break. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Bob from Wallula. Um, Update, I don't know, I read this in the Yakima newspaper last week, last Sunday. There was an article regarding uh, the vaccinations and that uh, the state of Washington does not have any record of those that have been uh, vaccinated in the VA system, the federal system, or anything else. They are counted in the population, but they have no record of those people having been the vaccinations there, and that certainly would push us over the number. Correct. You are absolutely correct. And that, that is one of the other discrepancies between the CDC uh, and the state, because the CDC being a federal entity, they do know if people in government facilities, VA hospitals and the like, military, you name it, they've got, they've got everything that they need. Uh, to put out those numbers again, it all I, the big thing though really is the age range that both are using. Um, you know, if the state of Washington was basing its opening on 18 plus, we could just take what the CDC puts out and, and apply it, but that's not the case. Coming up, have a chance to talk with somebody who is about to venture where few have gone before.
Stay with us. Now back to the bottom line on News Radio 610 KONA. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline 509 547 1610. This is the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Rob Francis, Ed Dawson, and you. Going to put the phone number on hold for a little bit. Uh, a. Richland native has been selected to be a part of the next SpaceX crew launching to the International Space Station in late October. And I had a chance to talk to Kayla Barron about that opportunity and specifically how she managed to take that career path and end up doing something that uh, most of us only dream about? My answer to that question is a little bit different from some of my colleagues and friends here in the astronaut office. A lot of people grew up dreaming very specifically of becoming an astronaut. Um, And for me, I grew up aware of what NASA was doing, the shuttle program, the space station, and thinking all of that was really cool and inspiring. But being an astronaut was not really something I could picture myself doing. Um, at a young age. And so for me, I knew I wanted to serve in the military and ultimately decided I wanted to go to the Naval Academy um, and commission as an officer in the Navy through um, getting a degree there. And during that time, I realized I wanted to be a submarine warfare officer. Um, And I was really lucky that I got the opportunity to serve in the submarine force after graduation And it was that experience that made me realize I wanted to become an astronaut, which might sound a tiny bit counterintuitive, but really it was the realization that living and working on a submarine beneath the surface of the ocean is so much like living and working on the space station in the vacuum of space. Um, And so I actually got to meet an astronaut after my tour aboard a submarine, and it was talking to her that that kind of clicked for me for the first time. And it was just like a light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, I, maybe I could be an astronaut. It never occurred to me that, you know, I might have the skills and experiences that I could bring to that sort of an opportunity. Um, and it ended up just being really good timing because a couple of weeks after that conversation, NASA announced they were going to take applications for the new class. Um, and so it was just fortuitous timing. I decided to put myself out there and apply. Um, And the rest is sort of history. It ended up working out. I never imagined that it would, but I ended up getting selected. Um, And all of that initial inspiration, I think, so far has proven to be true. I rely on the lessons and experiences from the submarine force every day in my training here in the astronaut office. It's interesting. When when you said that, I, I, I hearken back to when astronauts go to visit elementary school kids, middle high school kids in school, and they give their presentation, and maybe it sparks some interest, uh, you know, within that group. It was kind of like that for you. You just had a one-on-one with an astronaut later in life. But it sounds like it's the same kind of that spark just from talking from an or with an actual astronaut. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think for me, you know, from a young age, I was really inspired by the opportunity to serve. I knew I wanted to serve in the military from about the age of 13. 
And slowly that came into focus of joining the Navy. But what I was really looking for was opportunities to challenge myself, to grow as a leader and a teammate and a person so that I could really get to the point where I could contribute in the best way I could to making the world better to our country. Um, And so for me, I was kind of just looking for the best opportunities available to me at the time for those developmental moments for the next, you know, what would set me up to serve in the best way I could. Um, And so following those paths eventually led me to the opportunity to apply to be an astronaut. Um, And for me, that's what this is. You know, it's for it's the best way for me to serve my country um, and contribute and make the world better. Um, So I was just really lucky that I've had cool opportunities, like you said, meeting an astronaut, but also fantastic mentorship along the way. People who really helped push me to put myself out there to chase big goals and to take on challenging and intimidating opportunities like applying to be an astronaut. Well, how much of that came from your time growing up uh, in the Tri-Cities? You know, I would I would say a decent amount. You know, I, I moved a lot as a kid. My family moved a ton um, when I was growing up. But Richland was the place we lived the longest and the place where I went to high school. So we moved right before I started seventh grade. Um, and so... Richland really became our home, and it's where I had my most developmental opportunities, especially in school and sports. Um, I had such fantastic teachers and coaches, uh, especially at Richland High, where I really, you know, I always liked math and science, but Richland High is where I really learned that I could apply those interests to things like engineering and where I decided I wanted to study engineering in college. Um, the cross-country course, the track, and the basketball, um, you know, playing basketball, the basketball court were really places where I learned how to be a teammate, how to push myself, how to keep going when I thought I couldn't go anymore. Um, And so all of those experiences in the classroom um, and in sports and in our community really helped me develop the basic, you know, skills and abilities that I would need to challenge myself further in college and in the Navy. Um, So it was definitely a big part of forming my identity, especially just the people and teachers, coaches, mentors along the way. Well, since being selected for this class, you've gone through some some training, I'm sure. What has been uh, uh, things that have clicked for you, have been easier than others, and what's been more difficult about this uh, particular training? Um, you know, I think for me, plugging into different operational contexts is has become pretty natural. It wasn't originally in my career, but because of my training in the submarine force and my opportunities to deploy aboard submarines and really go out and do some really challenging missions using complex equipment, (laughs) like trying to make decisions in a really complex environment with a really talented team, uh, prepared me, I think, to come to NASA where we have a really similar operational structure. Um, And so that feels familiar to me, even though there are some differences, but how to communicate, how to make sure you're getting input from all of the experts on your team how to make decisions in a high-risk, quickly-moving environment. Um, that's fairly familiar, but there's a lot of things that are totally different, things that you definitely can't prepare yourself at all for until you do them. Um, and the thing that I think is most difficult in our training that kind of is the perfect example of that is spacewalk training. You know, if you're not an astronaut, you're probably not trying to learn how to do a spacewalk. 
Um, and so kind of learning how to develop those skills was brand new to me. Um, and we do it in a facility called the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory, which is just a giant indoor pool. Uh, it's 40 feet deep, and there is a one-to-one scale model of the space station submerged in this pool. And we get in real spacesuits and train underwater because it's a good simulation of a microgravity environment. Um, and it's the hardest thing we do because it's physically challenging to work in the suit for six-plus hours on a spacewalk. We're doing a lot of really complex tasks, so there's a lot of technical information you need to understand. And it's really mentally challenging to stay focused, and everything you do really matters, and mistakes can have huge consequences. So just stay focused when you're in that challenging environment. And it's an amazing team challenge because you're out there with a buddy and you also have a ground support team and mission control in Houston that you're working with to solve the problems that come up throughout that training. Um, so it's definitely, in my opinion, the hardest thing we do, but it's also the most fun because it really is one of those things where you can kind of feel, you can imagine yourself doing it in real life. It's a really good analog for what we'll, what I'll hopefully experience eventually um, on my mission to the space station. Um, so kind of developing those skills has been hard, but definitely fun as well. Now, ha- since being selected for this class, uh, have you had many other astronauts, uh, like previous astronauts, uh, you know, contact you, get in touch with you, maybe even offer some advice or, or even the original astronaut that kind of sparked that interest? Yeah, you know, the one thing that's really cool about our culture in the astronaut office is people really want to help the new rookies succeed in training and in their eventual flights. So there is always an amazing resource. People are super proactive about each phase of your training or your flight assignment coming to you and offering advice. Um, So in that sense, it's been super supportive. And I've gotten a lot of advice from the most minute advice you can imagine, like what to take with you to space, um, to the stuff that is a little bit, you know, harder to wrap your head around. Like, what does it feel like to look out a window down on the earth? Like, how do you prepare yourself for moments like that? Um, How do you take advantage of those amazing moments um, that you're going to have up there? How do you share them with all of our friends back here on Earth that are supporting what NASA is doing, how do we share that experience and use it to help make the world a better place? Um, So I've definitely gotten a lot of good mentorship and advice. Um, And I'm pretty lucky that I have a lot of awesome, experienced crew members who I'm going to be in space with. So our our crew for uh, SpaceX Crew 3, there's three rookies, but we also are flying with Tom Marshburn, who's one of the most experienced astronauts in our office. And when we get up there, Mark Vandehei will be there um, for his second uh, space station flight. Um, so we have a lot of resources around us, and it's definitely a team where people are dedicated to helping the rookies succeed and get the most out of their mission. Can you share the nature of your mission or, or parts of it? Um, yeah. Right now I'm training for a six-month mission to the International Space Station. Um, I'm a member of the SpaceX Crew 3 mission, um, and we are scheduled to launch in late October of this year. So it's <laughs> it's coming up pretty quick. Um, and so we'll launch aboard the SpaceX Dragon uh, from Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And then we'll spend six months aboard the space station living and working and doing some incredible science up there. 
Now, with the International Space Station, obviously, it's international. So there's crews uh, from different countries coming in and out uh, of there all the time. Uh, do you know if you'll be working with uh, any astronauts from other countries? Um, yeah. In fact, a member of my crew, Matthias Maurer, is a European Space Agency astronaut. He's from Germany. Um, so we have a German astronaut on our crew. Um, and then we'll also be up there with several astronauts from um, Roscosmos or the Russian Space Agency. So we'll be up there with some cosmonauts um, and a few missions will come up during our flight. So we'll definitely have some international partners um, and a hugely international team on the ground supporting us um, as well. Well, one of the things that uh, I know peaks people's interest, and it seems to be gaining more interest as time goes on, is, uh, you know, space is pretty filled with a lot of different things and a lot of things that we don't know very much about uh, yet. And you mentioned, you know, what it will be like to prepare yourself for, you know, the, the moments where you're looking out a little window and looking down on uh, on Earth. Has there been uh, much discussion with, uh, you know, current or former astronauts uh, talking to you about, hey, you know, might see some strange things up there, too? I mean, a little bit. We we have good a good community of scientists that support our missions. And we do a lot of um, Earth science while we're up there as well um, to include trying to get good photographs of phenomenons in the atmosphere, um, like auroras and things like that. Um, and so I think for me, I'm excited to see some of those natural phenomenons. Um, I'm an engineer, not a scientist myself, but I've gotten a little bit of training on what we might expect to see. Um, but I think for me, you know, you might see some things you've never seen before that are unexplained, like that you can't explain. But what's really cool is working with the scientists we have here at NASA and our other partners to help understand what those things that are going on. Because um, a lot of times we can't explain it to ourselves, but there's definitely something, someone on Earth who can explain what's going on um, and explain the science of how those things work. So it's going to be a really cool perspective to be able to look, you know, through the Earth's atmosphere from above um, and get to see some of those amazing things. I mean, are we talking, uh, you know, not only just auroras and, and different, uh, you know, different uh, molecular structures and, and things like that? Are we talking, you know, maybe strange lights or, or you know, who knows what? I mean, there's all kinds of different stories about, uh, you know, astronauts that have seen some strange things out on missions. Yeah, you know, I haven't talked to any astronauts who have seen something that's, like, truly unexplainable. Um, kind of like I said, a lot of us, I think there are some interesting phenomenons we get to observe that we might not be familiar with, but usually there are scientists on the ground who can kind of explain what's going on um, and use, like, the photographs we take or the observations we make to help contribute to their research and new discoveries. So as far as I know, that's the experience I'm expecting, but... Um, yeah, I'm not familiar with a lot of stories about things that people have trouble um, getting an explanation for. Fair enough. Um, finally, you are now in a classification of people that's pretty small. Uh, not, you know, very, very, very small percentage of people uh, become astronauts and actually get to go into space and, and, and do missions. Um, just like that astronaut that you talked with that piqued your interest 
Um, what would you, what, what kind of advice and, and what kind of message would you have for uh, young people uh, who might want to pursue a similar career path as yours? Uh, I think I would tell young people to pursue opportunities that are both really challenging and also things that they're really passionate about. You know, doing hard things is really a way to develop yourself, to push your boundaries, to help develop your strengths and work on your weaknesses. But if you're not doing something you love, <laughs> doing hard things is not that much fun. Um, and so if you can find opportunities that are challenging but also really excite you, I think that's the best way to develop yourself as quickly as possible and find new ways to contribute. And then the other thing I would say is to never close a door on yourself. I think a lot of these opportunities that I've wanted to pursue along the way, you know, felt really big, really scary, and really challenging. But I had good mentors who said, you know, you, you can't become an astronaut if you don't apply. Like, you have to put yourself out there. You have to try. You have to risk failing and falling in order to really accomplish great things. Um, and so I would say don't be afraid to put yourself out there and chase your dreams. Again, that's Richland High School grad Kayla Barron on her way to outer space, part of SpaceX crew number three, set to launch in late October, heading to the International Space Station. Book up with the bottom line on Twitter at BottomLine610. Now, back to the show, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. The phone number is 547 if you would like to get involved. Windermere Group, One Tri Cities, 72 sold tricities.com. Hang, uh, if you're going to put your house on the market, this is the group you want to be with. Multiple offers. When the house sells, it's usually for thousands of dollars more than what the original asking price was. Owners have been thrilled. The program has worked really, really well. If you want more information, Reach out to Windermere Group 1. Visit 72soldtricities.com. Find out how you can get your home in the program. Don't leave offers. Don't leave money on the table. Work with Windermere Group 1 through 72soldtricities.com and see the results for yourself. That was a cool interview. You know me. I, I, I love stuff with space. I've always, you know looked at the stars and you know it's always been something that's just been really kind of cool and to think that um you know even for somebody as as uh, Kayla Barron uh mentioned she growing up she bounced around quite a bit uh her family moved around a lot but she was here uh for a, the biggest chunk of her childhood including high school and and uh you know she lists Richland, Washington as her hometown on the NASA uh, profile page. And uh, it, it's just cool. It's, uh, it's really cool. So she's going to get to, uh, to travel uh, through SpaceX and, uh, and go up to the International Space Station and, and do her thing. And, and it's, it's just cool. You know, to me, the, the, the question to ask or the, the, the attempt to have a follow-up interview after the mission is over. Which she has agreed to do. And it's just like, okay, first question. Could you see your house from there? See, I would... I, from I, that I, high up. I, I you know, I, I, I would want to know about something else, but that's okay. Well, but even just... I, 
what is what is how do you take in the perspective of well, seeing the Earth? Yes, from space. Yeah, and what that's kind of what, a magnitude is uh, of of a feeling is that right? And, and that's what she alluded to with you know some of the other astronauts. You know, as they prepare her and all the other newbies out there, uh, that is one thing that you you need to mentally prepare yourself for. I mean, the number of people who have gone to space, looked out a little window, and seen the Earth in that window is quite small. I mean, the percentage of the population, it's... Infantismal. It's very small. So not many people get to do that. So she's going to get a chance to do that. They launch in October. And yes, uh, she said she would love to uh, connect with us after she gets back to tell us all how it went. And she's a Richland High grad, which is cool, too. Yeah, it's just fascinating to me. I mean, you know, I can't say it's something that um, that I would be overly, like, excited to do because it's just not my bag to mm-hmm, sure. go into the atmosphere right but uh it's just got to be fascinating humbling um probably will put a ton of things into perspective yeah when she takes a look at the big blue marble from outer space hour number two straight ahead